This is Father Patrick Briscoe. This is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And this is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation to us on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, we've made it through another Advent. Yeah, this it doesn't really count, though. I mean, it counts, but it was like super yeah, short. It was like, it was it was like, like a, four days. Yeah, best Advent ever. Yeah. Well, no, I love Advent. This is it is weird to have like eight hours, basically waking hours of fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, I remember a bunch of years ago, there was Christmas. Christmas on Saturday, I think, and then Sunday. So the obligations you had to tell people on Saturday night or Saturday, like, don't worry, we'll see you again tomorrow or something. Uh, and this one's similar. See you again like, later. We'll see you again late. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow or later today. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, but I wonder. Uh, this would be good to know the like if a vigil mass does that count as your Sunday obligation if you go to a vigil mass on the Sunday. But someone's saying no, so double duty if you want that. It's exciting. I mean, you should go on Christmas Day if you can't. I well, agree. You know, although midnight mass though, I suppose we can cut the, you know, cut the Gordian knot. Yeah. Yeah. So much. What are you going to do, Father Jacob Bertrand, at the parish in between the masses for the fourth Sunday of Advent and mm. Christmas? Sleep. Yeah. Take a nap, probably. Yeah. You should probably have your Christmas homily done by then. Yeah. I will. Because there's not going to be a there's lot of time. time. Yeah, no, you don't have that week. So, are you going to do a cliffhanger, like a two part, like the well, Dune or Mission Impossible? Like, uh, like a, you have to come to the next, like, <laughs> the hands halfway through, and so if you want to find out idea. how this ends. If yeah. I could choose your own ending, I could propose two endings for the cliffhanger. Yeah. Which, is which one I'm going to, yeah, and nice. voting on. Yep. Nice. I yeah. like Options. that. Yeah. That's a idea. Options. Everyone, you have roughly six hours to get there and find out. That's since right. he's already preached the first one. Join the Facebook poll and decide how Father Jacob Bertrand is going to finish the homily. Amen. Yeah. That might that might help them feel something up there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> could, be, could, be, could, be, could be good. Okay. Um, let's pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Why don't we jump into the first reading, Father Jacob Bertrand? Of course. A reading from the second book of Samuel. When King David was settled in his place and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered the king, Go, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, should you build me a house to dwell in. It was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as they did of old since the time I first appointed judges over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you, sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. 
I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. In the fourth Sunday of Advent, in the tradition of the fourth Sunday of Advent, rather, it's often called the Marian Sunday because all the readings have, have a Marian tone to them. And in this first reading, we get an, we get an allusion to, uh, well, or rather, get, we get the fundamentals, the, the, the ability to begin to interpret one of the common signs or symbols of the Virgin Mary. Um, so if you're familiar with the great prayer, the Litany of Laredo, you get lots of invocations to the Virgin Mary. But in that prayer, she's called some kind of weird things. She's called the Tower of David. She's called the Ark. And um, it's sort of strange when you first hear them to think of the Blessed Virgin Mary as these material things. But then when you pause, you realize how what a beautiful fittingness there is. So in, in this first reading, we're hearing, we're hearing David thinking about the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant and wanting, wanting a place where the ark can dwell that is exalted, that's fitting to the ark. Uh, we see the ark, though, as a, as a sign, a kind of type of the Virgin Mary, because the ark carries the presence of God the way the Virgin Mary bore Christ, the way the Virgin Mary carried the presence of Christ, um, the way the Virgin Mary brought the Son into the world. So just, just as the ark was carried um, in Israel and brought, brought to Israel, God, the Virgin Mary brings God, as it were, to man, and so I think I think that's worth hearing this kind of this this uh, this interpretation of the first reading, um, looking back with the eyes of the New Testament into the Old Testament, and thinking about the Ark as this beautiful symbol of the Virgin Mary. In this reading, it reminds me of the 1963 film uh, *Louis of the Field*, a uh, beautiful film of. Musical almost with Sidney Portier, who is a spectacular actor, who's um, a journeyman and uh, is well pressed into service to build a chapel or a chapel for some German-speaking nuns. And uh, the story about him doing this by himself. And at some point, to speed along the process, other workers come and bricks are given and things. And, and he resists this at first, and he's he's downcast and sad about it because he says, "I wanted to build the chapel." I wanted it to be my chapel. Uh, and the mother superior says, the chapel is being built. This is God's chapel. He's the one building the chapel. And of course, he has to realize in humility that no matter how much it will be his still project, but that, of course, it's not really about him. In this reading here, we have King David wanting to build a, ch- a chapel, wanting to build a temple for the Lord, a dwelling place for him, which is a g- good ambition. But the Lord comes and says, it will be I. I will build this place for me. I will be the one who builds the temple, the chapel for my dwelling place. And it's an emphasis on the grace of Christ and the supremacy of God. And that while we are participants, we wait upon him. That salvation is not our project, but his project. He builds the chapel. We are the ones who are called to dwell in it. One of the things that is given to us, um, well, I'll say this actually, throughout the season of Advent, through the prophets and through the Old Testament readings, we're given a lot of promises. A lot of the sort of promises of the Lord that are then fulfilled in the New Testament are first handed on, first prophesied, first proclaimed in the Old Testament. And Advent has this sort of 
anticipatory reality because of Christmas, but also we begin Advent with the anticipatory reality of of um, Christ's second coming. So it all kind of builds and builds and kind of, I don't know, serves to build our hope. And one of the promises that we get um, from, from the reading that we have for the fourth Sunday of Advent is that the Lord promises to give us rest. Um, he promises to give us rest. And that, I don't know, the hustle bustle, the craziness of the, of the Advent season, Christmas season coming up, that might sound like a pretty good thing to be promised, to be given. But more importantly, it's not just a rest from like the busyness of life, but it's it's a spiritual rest. It's a divine rest that we're promised, a rest in in Christ. And we think too, we can think of the familiar gospel passage in the in the eleventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where our Lord promises to give rest to those who are weary, to those who are burdened. And fast forward through a few more centuries, a handful more centuries, we think of Augustine, St. Augustine and his confessions, his the, his the restlessness of his heart seeking to find rest as he again describes the, the condition and the desire of the Christian. Throughout all of this, as we approach very quickly the manger scene in the birth of our Lord, um, this idea of rest, of Christ coming in the night, of becoming incarnate, being born in the humility of, of the manger, it ought to give us a moment to reflect on, on the reality that our Lord calls us to simply be with. His whole mission is to share his life with us, that we might rest in him, be with him, share life with him. And it's a promise given from the beginning and fulfilled in this great mystery that we're about to celebrate. So with that, let's turn to the second reading. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, to him who can strengthen you, according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages, but now manifested through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God, made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, Through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. Amen. When I taught before into the Dominican Order, I loved wearing sport coats. I always wore a suit coat or a sport coat. And I usually wore ties, but I switched eventually to wearing bow ties um, and learned how to tie these things from one of my mentors, uh, Sherry McKenzie, down in Florida. I always wore a bow tie. The trick of the bow tie is to make it not quite perfect so everyone realizes that it is a real bow tie. And the bow tie has become like a symbol for salvation history in a way, at least in hermeneutics understanding this. We have in this passage a sort of narrowing down of all of history to a knot um, from the revelation, the mysteries that were planted, scattered about, you know, sort of nice dreams of the pagans, as C.S. Lewis calls it. Then you have the calling of the people, so the bow tie is getting narrowed, it's getting heading towards the knot. And then you have Jesus Christ uh, in that central location, middle of the tie, Uh, And he is, everything has been focused coming down to him. But of course, the bow tie continues on. It spreads out. He's the knot, but then he expands out through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, and then through, so that in a sense, we're going to expand out to all the places of the earth where those revelations, those mysteries were spread, and to reclaim them. So that as absurd as it sounds that he is this one God-man, the knot and the center of the story of the entire world's history, it is nonetheless the true true case. And we are meant to come from that one side, from him, to expand out to all the nations of the world. 
We know well that the season of Advent is a preparatory season. It's there to help get us ready to receive Christ at Christmas, at the Incarnation, at His Nativity. Um, and we can think of the ways by which or how we prepare to celebrate Christmas or perhaps the ways we thought we might be able to prepare and then that hasn't come true or whatever it might be. But nonetheless, Advent prepares us. And it prepares us not simply to receive Christ on our terms, but to receive Christ on, on his terms, as he has decided, as God has decided in his will and his providence to become incarnate, to take on human flesh and to, and to dwell among us. So it's we, when we think about the, this time of preparation as it quickly comes to a close, we should also think about how are we being prepared, for what are we being prepared. The thing that St. Paul says that sticks out to me here is, is at the end of the reading, where he says, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever and ever. In a sense, we're being prepared to receive God in his glory, but in a sort of, um, in a way that might be um, unexpected. Again, I, I, when reflecting on the first reading, I mentioned the manger scene. We all know well the humility of the manger scene, um, but the humility of the manger scene ought not hide God's glory and the great mission that Christ comes to accomplish uh, in time and also in our lives, but ought to be a way that we should begin to understand, reorient our expectations as to what does it mean to for God to be glorified, for us to give him glory, and for, and for us in turn to receive and live within that glory. Um, the Christian ideal of glory, the Christian ideal of perfection is wrapped up in our conformity to Christ, who comes to us in a particular way for a particular reason. So we ought to continue to turn our hearts and minds to this in preparation for his coming. This summer, I got to spend a lot of time with my niece and nephews. And what's interesting to me about parenting toddlers is that it's very it's a very strategic affair. And so you have to you have to plan out carefully how things are going to go. Otherwise, the day is is going to unfold in ways that will surprise you because the toddler exists. It seems to throw you off your game. So <laughs> so part of part of what my my sisters do, and I think this is just great parenting is that they don't reveal everything to the toddler at once. Because if you do that, and things maybe end up having, there, there are changes in the event of the day, it will cause the child to melt down, and you will have an absolute disaster on your hands. So my, my sisters, who are great mothers, give their children what they can handle at the proper time, little bit by little bit. And then finally, at the end of the day, only then is the day clear to the child um, but if they had given it all up front, the child wouldn't have been able to handle it or wouldn't have understood it or wouldn't have had an appreciation for all the variables at hand. And something like that is going on in the way that God leads us through salvation history, giving us, his beloved sons and daughters, what, what could be known at the proper time until at last, at that last day, we live in the last days, as some say, on that last day when Christ reveals all, when the days when the day is concluded and a, a kind of new life with Christ has begun. So with that, let's turn to the gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said, and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. There is something, uh, I guess, uh, incarnate, I'm going to use that word, incarnate in the Christian life, in the Christian vocation, in the vocation of discipleship that um, entails our being sent somewhere. We aren't sort of, um, there isn't a stability in a sense, in our lives as disciples, as creatures of God being sent. We can think of this in a whole host of terms um, from the from the sort of, um, what, the kind of randomness sometimes of life or the fickleness of life, of our physical moving from one place to another, our, you know, ups and downs in the spiritual life. But here too, in, in, in listening to the reading and listening to the gospel, we see that it's, it's not just humans, it's a sort of all of creation is sent um, to manifest the glory of God to carry out his mission. So here we have the angel Gabriel, who is sent from God to deliver this message to Mary. We can think of the way that even the angels are sent on, on mission um, to spread the gospel, to, to proclaim God's goodness, all of these things. We can think, too, we know the rest of the story that after, after Mary um, becomes pregnant, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, in a sense, sent to her cousin Elizabeth to be with her. Think of Christ, too. Christmas, coming later today and tomorrow. Stay tuned. Um, Christ is sent, the second person of the Trinity, to accomplish the mission of salvation. Now, um, that's a little different than angels and Elizabeth, but here, within the within our life in God, there's, there's a sending. So, too, for us. You know, that the reality is that when we take time for preparation, take this time of the season of Advent to prepare to receive the Lord, to grow closer to Him, to grow more conformed to Him, we are called to be sent out to also proclaim the gospel, to witness to the gospel with our lives and what we say and what we do, how we structure our days, how we, how we do all of this, such that we might draw others to the good news of the gospel, to the mystery of the incarnation, to the mystery of our salvation. Um, it's, it's not a stagnant faith, one where we sit back and, and wait, but one that, because of the good news of the gospel uh, in itself, has to be shared. And there's a great beauty in that vocation, a great participation in, in, in God's creation. It's interesting to think about why the church asks us to meditate on the Annunciation the day before Christmas. Uh, because if, if we were to arrange the liturgical year, it seems like the action here is a little bit out of sequence. Um, you know, to think about how uh, Jesus has just been conceived in this gospel and then he's going to be born the next day. So wait a minute, weren't there supposed to be nine months in between there? Okay, yes, there, there are in, in the rest of the liturgical year. But why is the church asking us to meditate on this moment 
on the fourth Sunday of Advent, it's so that when we get to Christmas, we would be reminded of where this child comes from, that this child is the son of the Most High, that this, that this child was the one who was announced by the angel, was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, that this is, this, is, this is Christ's providence. And so the church assigns this gospel to us just before Christmas so that we, that we would remember that he is the one and we would remember whence he came. When I was a seminarian uh, in the Protestant church, uh, my Hebrew teacher, Dr. Philip Johnston, uh, used a reference to or uh, an example of the use of the word for behold in Hebrew, which is hene. And we were sitting in class at one point, and there was a bus coming across the uh, outside the, the classroom, and he said, hene, lo, a bus. And it seemed so bizarre to welcome a bus with lo, or behold, or hene. And that was exactly the point. This is a royal welcome, not just that everyone was doing this all the time, they had familiar ways of greeting, but that this was a particular royal welcome that said something a little bit different, higher, was involved here. That's the kind of language in this passage of the Annunciation. Hail. It's not something we generally hail people with. Um, or behold. Behold is not something we generally point out to something. We just say, look over there. But this is the kind of thing that you want to have in these circumstances of the Annunciation and of Christmas to draw us to a little bit higher mentally and spiritually to the reality of the mysteries involved here, that miracles are happening, Christ is coming, and he is something to behold and something to hail, and those who are around him are to have the same greetings. It's a sense also that when we go to visit Christ today, in the sacraments, especially at adoration or in the tabernacle, you don't need to say, behold, Christ, to the person next to you. But in your heart, some sense that this is a royal greeting, that our language can be elevated and our mind and our thoughts in the same way to this presence of God who has deigned to come to visit us and that we greet him appropriately. Thanks, friends, for listening to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the link in the description. You can also follow the links in the description to shop God's Planning merch or to get information on upcoming God's Planning events. We hope you've appreciated these Advent Lexios, and as we approach the great feast of the Nativity of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that Christ would once again come into your hearts where he would reign forever. God bless you.